Why is it that some marketers just absolutely crush it and others really struggle? Hi, I'm Jared Krauss. I'm the host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast. And today I'm speaking with Lorraine Ball, who after spending too many years in corporate America, Lorraine said goodbye to the bureaucracy, glass ceilings, and bad coffee to follow her passion to help small business owners succeed. Now today, she's a successful entrepreneur, author, professional speaker enjoys sharing what she knows about marketing and presentations to groups around the country and colleges classrooms and in her weekly podcast more than a few words she brings creative ideas practical tips and dedicates a real world experience to every conversation in her spare time she loves to travel and take photos and in this podcast episode Lorraine and I talk about what the best content creators do really really well and what the ones who need improving don't do so well. And we're not just talking about content creators, we're talking about marketers in that fashion as well. We also talk about old school traditional marketing like newspapers, phone books, and what it looked like using that type of marketing versus digital marketing now. And also how some of the digital marketers are left with not sometimes the best philosophies and how they can get stuck if they're just focusing too much on the numbers and where that can be dangerous. So knowing your numbers is important, but only having your numbers as leverage can allow you to fail if the environment changes. We also talk about what Google could do if they break it up into different companies based on the jurisdiction and the sort of things they're going through in the courts in America which is quite interesting. We always talk about the two most important things the best marketers focus on and why focusing on those two things in their business and marketing is what gets them the maximum amount of profit. We also talk about how using other people's content can make you more money in your business. Yes, other people's content. Not just OPM, like other people's money, but other people's content, OPC. It's fascinating to hear. And uh, Lorraine shares a bunch of different ways that you can use other people's content and why you should. We also talk about paid marketing versus content marketing. I asked Lorraine a question, if you could only do paid marketing or only do content marketing, which one would you choose and why? Um, she's got very good reasons behind both. And then we move into some of the great stories of uh, how businesses that she's worked with and businesses that she's had share stories in her books have collected a lot of business from different things like giveaways and competitions. Now, Lorraine is coming up to almost a thousand podcast episodes. She's been in marketing so long. She is a world of information. There's so much value in this podcast. It's a great conversation. I enjoyed it and I have no doubt that you will too. So let's dive in. Have you been lied to about how to increase organic traffic and grow your website? I too used to think that all you needed to do is add more content and gain backlinks but this just doesn't work. More content and more links alone is not the answer. Nor do you need to butcher your website with generic SEO changes you picked up on some crummy online tutorial leaving with a Frankenstein website that's slow and clunky. And because I got sick of seeing great people with great websites struggle to grow them, I decided to do something about it. I created an SEO service, which is not just about publishing content and getting links. Sure, we offer that. But first, we give you quick wins, which are SEO tweaks we can make to your website that actually boost your rankings. And then we lay out a killer SEO strategy to acquire more traffic and revenue that outranks your competitors with less content and less links. We've thoroughly tested this service on many websites before launching it and have achieved incredible results, which you'll see on our landing page I'm about to share with you. Now, you can finally buy a business and give it to us to grow it for you. 
To check out our SEO service, head to buyingonlinebusinesses.com forward slash SEO hyphen services and book a call to chat with us to see what is the best growth strategy for you and your website. That's buyingonlinebusinesses.com forward slash SEO services and the link will be in the description too. Lorraine, thanks for coming on to have a chat. It is so nice to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, you're welcome. It's great to meet you. Uh, For everybody listening, we jumped on and we've had a great chat, great connection. So we just had to hit the record buttons before the rain starts to spill value all over the place. So well, okay. Well, nothing well, like set, setting the bar. Yeah, exactly. Just setting the bar a little high, so you're creating those expectations. <laughs> I'm up for the challenge. No, you've got you've got a world of wisdom. After everybody that you've interviewed, I mean, how could you not, right? So for guys, everybody listening, Lorraine's got an amazing podcast, and we're going to share links with that at the end of the show, and they'll be in the description. Um, but you're coming up close to almost a thousand episodes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Wow. It is. I I just released, I think, maybe 905. I'm guessing I'm going to be, well, it depends how productive I am this year, but I, I'm thinking 1,000 will be bef- probably by spring of next year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Have you got like, so I, I've got a guy that I know who's been on the podcast a couple of times. His name's James Shremko. I'm not sure if you've heard of James Shremko. Mm-hmm. No? No. Yeah, he's like a bit of a godfather of marketing in Australia. And mm-hmm. uh, he had his thousandth episode and uh, he had a really cool idea to pick a p- pick parts apart of other podcasts that he's done and then put them all together, mm-hmm. like all the ones that he just found were like really juicy and really good. And people submitted questions to him and submitted feedback and he put – like the guests on the show and I thought it was a really cool idea. Have you thought about like mm-hmm. what you might do when you get to the thousand thousand mark range? Um I uh I think for five hundred I did a little bit of a retrospective. I pulled some of my favorites and that was fun. But I like the idea of of doing a live episode mm. with a lot of different people because you're right, I have had a chance to talk to so many interesting people and it's always fun and it's always different. And even though I don't think marketing has really changed in all the years that I've been doing this, mm-hmm. how people are approaching it and, and the tools that they're using are always changing. And that's kind of fun. It's so fun. It's so fun. I love mm-hmm. podcasting um, just because mm-hmm. the conversations that people you get to meet is great. And yeah, because you have spoken to so many people, I want to like, after speaking to so many people and being in marketing yourself, what do you find the best marketers have, I guess, in common that, that they do really, really well? Or is it a way, I think a way the, of life for them? Or, yeah, what do you think they have in common? I think the, um, the very best marketers that I've met share one common belief, and that is that it's all about the customer, that you have to start with that customer and work backwards. And, you know, there's creative, you know, there are creative people that do fun advertising or um, there are people that, you know, do very well orchestrated campaigns. But if they forget that, number one, it's the customer. Um, And then you're going to laugh at me because most people don't expect a marketing person to say this. But the second thing is that really great, really great marketers understand that it's about the numbers. 
Because if you don't pay attention to the numbers, you end up with award-winning advertising that doesn't sell product. And I think that's the thing that I've loved about the transition to digital marketing is how measurable it is. Because you were kind of shooting in the dark a little bit before we had some of these internet tools. You know, you'd you'd be counting phone calls or you'd you'd have like five different phone numbers and you'd be tracking, well, this phone number is only in this ad and this phone number is only in this ad. And so where did the calls come from? And the internet has just made that so easy that any marketer that doesn't pay attention to that's really missing out. Absolutely. I consider myself very, very grateful and I am very, very grateful that um, I came into marketing through digital marketing and I've heard people do, and I'm ta- I'll shout out to James Schrampico again, and in it, he talks about some um, you know, newsletter, uh, email, not email marketing, just like letterbox marketing uh, and how that has come back in great ways. But also I've heard people talking about, yeah, putting ads in the newspaper. And I just think like, how do you know what the ROI of that is? Like like to the to the like decimal point, right? To the cent. <laughs> it's so tricky. Well, and you know what? The truth is you didn't. I mean, you yeah. you you accepted that marketing was imprecise. We did a lot of creative things. Um uh, Australia, you guys have maybe a version of a book. We used to call it the Yellow Pages. Yes, and it was just a giant, okay, yes. giant phone book. And I had clients that had, because of where their business was located, they they crossed over multiple um, territories, so they had to be in multiple books. And what we did is we created a little code that went in each ad in each book. And when the phone rang and someone said, oh, I found you in the yellow pages, the first thing the receptionist would say is, really, if you can tell me the code that's in the ad, you'll save 10% on your purchase. Boom. So we were doing things like that that helped. It was still imprecise. And, you know, along comes... Google Analytics and and web trafficking and suddenly you're like wow I know exactly how many people came and I know exactly what they did um, so it's it it's easier except now we have a generation of marketers that are addicted to those metrics and you're starting to see things like from Apple where the privacy factor is going up and maybe you can't tell where somebody came from or you're you're not seeing as much information and i think it's going to challenge marketers in the next 2 to 3 years to get very creative just like we did back in the day i love to figure out what's really working oh i love that you're saying that because it's kind of like i was thinking about this when i was out surfing this morning There was a mother on the beach with her kids or a bunch of kids out there and she was directing them where to go to like the good places, like to where to catch the waves, like to the peak, right? Like there's the highest point of the wave where the most power is. And I was thinking that's really good. It's a good cheat. But for that child, when their mother's not around, uh, they're, they're losing an education on how to read the ocean really well themselves. And with digital marketing, uh, 
we are blessed that we have these metrics, but it, as the landscape changes and we only taught in one area, we we don't know how to. We may not, or those marketers may not, how to survive in that environment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and it will change, and it'll change again. And um, we're seeing right now the um, uh, and this is really interesting here in the U.S. We're seeing um, the Justice Department is going after Google. And the last time they did a try uh, something of this magnitude on the level of antitrust, they went after Microsoft and they won. And they, because Microsoft used to have all their software bundled with computers and they had to stop mm-hmm. doing that. And the time before it was when they broke up AT&T, our phone company, into a series of smaller companies that led to just a tremendous amount of competition. So um, a lot of us are watching to see, you know, how is this trial going to come out? Because Mm. if the U.S. tells Google they have to break up, it's going to ripple through the world, but it's going to change Mm. search and advertising and information that's available and and metrics. So it's going to be something, I think, to really watch and figure out if all this blows up. Wow. How am I going to run my business? Wow, yeah. So how would you suggest maybe some if they do break up, how, what what are some of the changes that you would, you know, predict maybe or I mean it's hard, it's really hard to know, but have you got mm-hmm. ideologies or have people spoken to you about what they feel could could look like or I think it's a little bit too early. I think they just started the trial, so it's hard to tell kind of where the Justice Department, I mean, yes, they think Google is too big and they think Google is controlling search. Um, but having not seen all the arguments yet, it's kind of hard to, to get a sense, um, you know, ask me in a couple of weeks and then I may have a different opinion. Um, but I think that um, if businesses are smart, they are collecting multiple data, they're collecting data from multiple points to see if it's confirming what they knew. So, you know, if you're losing your web traffic number, then start watching, you know, are your downloads, you know, when, when you run promotions, don't run the same promotion on five different platforms, (laughs) run five different promotions and then when you find one that that seems to be working, then try it on a different platform. But now you get a sense of, you know what? We promoted this online resource guide and we promoted this online resource guide and, and everyone loved this. Now, was that because we put it on LinkedIn or was that because it was a better guide? And so you've got to do that, that A-B testing that moves beyond the simple metrics. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the metrics of like conversions, I think a lot of people, marketers are thinking about the numbers, like you say, and the conversions. And if the conversions are really high, cool, but the conversions of those people in their journey of the audience, how close are they to buying? Are they very far mm-hmm. away, but with high conversions versus like lower conversions, but closer to buying and where they're at in their journey? Um, which comes back to that philosophy that you were talking about before is like, think about the user, think about your Mm -hmm. audience, think about what they want and where they're at. Because 
I think, you know, I'm across numbers in my business, of course, right? I think every entrepreneur should be. But what's more important is like I'll I'll be prepared to give up a click-through rate, a really high click-through rate, if I know I'm going to run a different campaign with a lower click-through rate, but in the end people are going to convert and it's going to make the business more money because I understand where they're at in their journey and their buyer's journey, Mm -hmm. right? which is oh you know you uh, what you said there is so so critical because it's not just that somebody took an action it's how close is that action to the to the actual decision mm. and you know click throughs um they're not on the same scale of vanity metric as friends and followers <laughs> but but if you are running campaigns and all you're looking at are the click throughs it really is almost the same kind of hollow um, vanity metric because what you want to see is, are they clicking through? Are they giving you their email address? But then also, once you have their email address and now you're continuing to follow up with them, what's the open rate? And and what is, what's the engagement rate of that campaign? And then what percentage of those people become customers? And it's kind of like a funnel. And if there's like holes in it along the way, and you know, people are going to drop out, but how many get all the way through? And is that enough to make it worthwhile to have that ridiculously high click-through rate that you're paying for? Exactly. Exactly. And you, you know, cause, cause clicks ain't free. Not anymore. <laughs> no. No, and organic traffic is not typically free because you've got to create the content for it as well, right? So when you talk about the funnel, like say somebody goes through, you know, this, they go through an opt-in and they go through some emails and then they get put into maybe an email marketing campaign and then they go to landing pages and they might go through a sequence of landing pages or a video series or whatever it is. I think what people forget is that, well, I was speaking to actually uh, my old sales guy, uh, really good, made the business a lot of money and he went out on his own and he's like, I need somebody to finish my funnel. And I was like, okay, what does the funnel need? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, oh, that's so you. You've hired some. He hired somebody to do do his funnel, <laughs> right? And uh, shout out to him. He's gonna laugh at this, and he won't mind me sharing because he's he's a student at heart. And he said, no, I I just hired him to build my funnel uh, because I know I need a funnel to put leads through to get them to closer to the sales journey. I said, okay, so what what part of the funnel is is lacking? You said, well, uh, on the landing page is a section that needs to be done, needs to be worked on. And um, when my old funnel, he stopped working on it, the funnel guy, I don't know what that section is. And I say, okay, cool. So is this like a landing page where in the funnel he's like, oh, it's a landing page. I'm like, okay, cool. So I just sort of coached him through how he could get that resolved and fixed with people mm-hmm. that he already had on his team and could use. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is like I think people are learning and learning too fast and not being in the game. The, the real education comes from being in the game and copying those, those losses of like I actually don't know how to build mm-hmm. a funnel and why do I even need a funnel, right? So like newspapers and stuff. What I feel is that Sometimes people forget when they're doing marketing that all the content marketing they're doing that's costing them money, they're not 
banking that up as a cost uh, towards their marketing when they're running paid campaigns. They feel that the paid campaigns or they don't, don't even know, they're not even conscious of it, that the paid campaigns are the ones that they should be measure, measuring the ROI from. But how many marketers do, you, marketers do you speak to that actually measure the total ROI on how much they spend on content marketing? Because this podcast, right, it's not for free. It costs a fair bit of money to edit, schedule, put out there and make it great. And same with our YouTube videos and all that sort of stuff. So do you find there's many marketers that, add that cost of content into their campaigns when they're running ads as well? So I will tell you that the smart, oh, there we go, um, the smart ones do. Yeah. So um, uh, we always, when we built the marketing budget, I, you know, I always encouraged my business owners that they're like, well, I'm, I'm doing it myself, so it's free. No, it's not free because there's an opportunity cost. If you're spending an hour writing a blog post and two hours posting on social media, yeah. that's three and, and, and an email campaign, that's three hours you're not selling. That's three hours you're not face to face with a customer. And so you've got to consider those opportunity costs. And so when we would do um, you know, marketing for clients and then we would do our marketing. I applied an hourly rate to the work we were doing, um, and I would, quote, bill the company. Um, in, in other words, the agency was, was paying, and I treated that as if it was billable hours and tracked it as an expense for the business. So I really captured what the cost of my marketing was because I needed to know, was I wasting my time or was it a good use of my time? Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, also, I think what people don't understand is I, I learned this the hard way is when I first started in my business, I didn't, I didn't really put any content out there and I was just doing um, ads directly on Facebook and we're getting leads in and, you know, we're, we're definitely selling and making great money. But it wasn't until I started uh, content like a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of podcasting that's that became the vehicle for sales. So by the time people got on the phone after going through a bunch of the content, they'd opt in to something, give us a phone number and stuff like that. By the time they got on the mm -hmm. phone, we didn't need to sell. Like they were already sold. They're just like, no. tell me the price and when do I start? <laughs> There's so much oh, value in that branding, right? Absolutely. And I, I used to tell um, uh, my clients that content marketing is kind of like um, ground cover. Um, you know, soldiers go into battle and your infantry's there and they're laying down the ground cover. Mm. And then you have that one sniper who only pops up after they're doing their job and he, he delivers the kill shot. Mm. Your content is your ground cover. That's the continuous stuff you're putting out there so that when someone sees your ad, it looks familiar. They already know who you are. They're more likely to notice the ad. Mm. When they meet you at a networking event, if you're doing live marketing, they've already seen all of that content. So you have that consistent level there. And then periodically you can do promotions. We actually did um, for a client using Google My Business. And he was spending... 
I think about a thousand dollars a month in Google ads, which was a nice uh, buy. He was getting some good traffic. We started aggressively putting content on his Google My Business page, mm-hmm. and we could track more phone calls and more traffic to the website based on that content mm-hmm. than he was getting from the ads. We actually had him turn off his Google ads for a couple months mm. and he never missed a beat because his because there was so much good content there and and we were leveraging not just the content we were creating but we were taking advantage of reviews so that whole user generated content thing mm-hmm. um, really getting the benefit of that um, and it made a huge huge difference in his business. Absolutely. That's such a good story and such a good share because, yeah, I mean, you you take away, I mean, there is the opportunity cost of creating that content, but that goes into, um, you know, you not needing to spend the money on ads and also you can slow down the content as the business ages because then you you know you don't need to produce as much. So this leads me to a question that I was I was going to ask you later down the track in the in the show but and i think we may have the answer here and this 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 goes for all businesses this is not just one particular type of businesses but for all businesses if you could choose social media marketing or just paid ads on one of the platforms or only content marketing which would you prefer and why it would not it would not be paid ads because um, the minute you stop paying, it's done. Yes. Um, my pref- my preference will always be the content on your website first. And the reason is that that then becomes a source for where you go everywhere else. Mm-hmm. But the other reason is um, you don't own your content on, on Facebook. Not really. No, you don't. You don't own it on YouTube, Facebook, Facebook, LinkedIn. It's not yours. It's theirs. And also it's their rules. So there may be something you want to say in a way you want to say it and a way you want to present it. And you can't because it doesn't fit their guidelines. And I'm I'm not really even talking about things that are offensive. I'm just, it's, it's simply a matter of when you're playing on those platforms you're living by their rules. And so I always tell people, you need to treat social media like you're going to a singles bar. You're going to meet a lot of nice people. Hear me out on this. You're going to meet a lot of nice people. You're going to have some fun conversations. But your objective is to bring your date home. Mm -hmm. And home is your website and your email list. Because once you get them to, to leave the platform and come to you, and once you have that contact information, you control the conversation and you are no longer dependent on the rules of any other platform and you're no longer dependent on the conversations you're renting through your advertising. Now it's, it's your relationship with that prospect. 
I love that you said that because there's so many people that are listening to this that are buying blogs or own content websites and they don't have an email list. So what they're doing is what you're saying is they're creating content to rent space on Google and then when Google decides this content is not, we're going to get paid a higher price by somebody that's got, that's got better content uh, and we're going to rank them higher because they're rent, they're prepared to pay a higher, you know, you know, rent um, to get onto our platform. They lose the traffic and they don't have an email list, so they can't they can't market to them unless they end up starting to pay a higher rent, which is them technically upgrading their content to rank higher, right? Um, so what do what do you feel some of the best content marketers do really well? I think. Some of the best content, well, the best content marketers out there, number one, answer the questions that customers have. Mm. People go to the internet because they have questions and they have different questions at different stages in the buying journey. And this sounds so simple, but um, we used to do this exercise with clients where we would sort of brainstorm with them. What are the questions people ask you all the time? And then maybe we would go to Google and you can type in the question and it'll give you like a whole bunch of other related questions. And so you get this whole list. And then we would go to their website and type that question into the search button. And um, you'd be amazed at how many times they had told us, this is the most important question. This is the question we get asked all the time. And I can't find the answer to it on their website. So great marketers uh, answer questions. Um, and they worry less about the individual keyword. They don't obsess about, oh, I've got to get this keyword in there. And they worry more about the, the answer. Because these days, you know, I'm old enough to remember when you did what was called a Boolean search. Have you got your you go hand over the Oh, oh, that's better. oh, my God. No, I hope. There you go. Is that better? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and my, uh, my, my ring light is, is, is I, I didn't stop to hook the phone into that, so I'm holding the phone. Um, <laughs> love it. Love technology. <laughs> but um, so, so with a Boolean search, you typed in furnace plus repair. Okay? Yeah. That's not how we search anymore. Now we go to Google, Siri, and we're like, hey, Siri, why does my furnace smell funny? Mm. And that's what they're typing into the search. And so your content can't just be stuffed with the words furnace repair, furnace repair, furnace repair. It's got to answer that really obscure question. I love it. Absolutely. And I think with a lot of people that do put out content specifically for on their website for Google is they have the ideology that they know what questions are being asked because they're thinking about it. But the best, but to really know what questions are being asked, you need to go to Google to find out, you know, the little FAQs or well, the FAQ section, but like down the bottom, like related questions or related searches, they're the questions that people are actually asking, right? That you need to. That Absolutely. Need to and um, I have, there's a website, I think it's asksocrates.com. You can type in your question and it, it pulls the data from Google 
and just generates this whole list in a, a really searchable form. Um, so yeah, uh, the other thing, talk to your salespeople. Have them go through their inbox and look at the emails that they have written to customers in the last three to six months. What questions are they getting asked? Yeah. What questions do the customer service people get asked? What questions do, um, you know, your installers and, and you know, the, the people on the return desk, whatever it is, what questions do people have? And then um, start answering them. Uh, one of my favorite questions uh, we got, you don't get asked this much but now, but in the beginning, as people were building their first websites, they were like, well, why do I have to have hosting and a domain name and, and, and you know, why do I have all these different fees? And I had to explain to them that your website's kind of like a mobile home. You can park it anywhere, but you got to have a mobile home park where you get running water and electricity, and that's your hosting. And then your domain name, just make sure your mail follows you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. Well, I got tired of telling that same story over and over again, so I wrote a blog post. And every time somebody asked me, you know what? I would send them the post. Well, then I noticed looking at my data, that that post was getting a lot of traffic because a lot of people were typing into Google, why do I have to pay for hosting and domain registration? Love it. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a win for everyone, right? Like you, you make it easier for you. Uh, you make it easy for your customer service team and you give people exactly what they want and then they can choose the next step like to 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 work with you or to go down the route of like, all right, let's look at more of the content because she answered my question in a fashion that was like, that's all, all I need. Uh, you talk about um, something really cool that I am absolutely fascinated about and other OPM, right? Other people's money, it can help you grow your business. And you also say to grow your business, you also need a little bit of OPC. So standing for <laughs> other people's content as well. Please, mm -hmm. please, please share what you mean by that. Other people's content. How do we need other people's content to grow our business? Because if we can, if I can get more of other people's content, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first off, I am not suggesting that you run around the internet scraping other people's information, mm -hmm. but what you can do with, with OPC and cultivating that behavior is inviting your community to share their stories. Yes. Um, and it's something as simple as the most common OPC is reviews. Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing about getting someone to write you a review is they talk about your product or service, not the way you talk about it, but the way a customer talks about it. And they use words and language that other people will search for. So as you cultivate reviews, you're cultivating search benefit. But you can go beyond that. You can, um, uh, contests are a wonderful way to get people, you know, whether it's a photo contest, one of my favorites that we did, it was an optometrist and he was opening up a children's practice and we ran a contest that said, just share with us a picture of your kid wearing glasses. So 
moms are interested. And then the prize was um, uh, when you play ice hockey, there's something called a Zamboni machine that smooths out all the ice so you can play well. The guy was the optometrist for the local ice hockey team. He was giving away a prize. The kid would get to ride on the Zamboni machine. What mother is not going to want that for their kid? So we got 100, 150 photos. And he was like, well, that's okay. I said, no, we're not done. Because in order to win, your photo has to get the most votes. Mm. And in order to vote, you had to give us two pieces of information. Your email address. And your zip code. Why the zip code? Because grandma don't live in Indianapolis, so she's not going to hire this optometrist. Yeah. But mom and her PTA friends do. Yeah. We got off that contest, I want to say we got twelve or 1,300 email addresses in his market area. Amazing. That he could then target based on that campaign. Amazing. It's such a mm-hmm. clever way to do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A- absolutely. And the other thing that you can do with other people's content is you can ask them, um, uh, oh, God, uh, potato chip. Lay's Potato Chips does this. They run a contest and you suggest a flavor. Mm. And the winning flavor they actually make. Mm. Well, people get really vested in the contest and they're going to buy more potato chips because it was that's my brand. And yeah. they're they're going to promote their their flavor within the brand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And everybody votes for that flavor, they're gonna buy it. Because mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. Abs- not, right. And they're gonna then it's Abs- the what goes on the compounding effect of like if that flavor stays in the stores, they're always going to mm-hmm. say, you know, this flavor is because of me. We should buy these potato chips, right? And they just keep buying them and buying them and buying them. ROI, and that is what we like to call infinite ROI. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, sometimes it's really interesting. You know, people put together these really elaborate contests, but the truth is a very simple request with a thank you Mm. just say publicly thank you um jimmy fallon will do this and i don't know if he's still doing it because twitter is a dumpster fire right now but when twitter still worked he would throw a question out on twitter and people would answer it and then he would read it that night some of the answers on his show so Thousands of people would submit. He'd pick a few that he liked, but everybody stayed up to watch to see would he would he share theirs. And he had someone on his staff that was thanking everybody for their submissions. So even if you didn't get on the show, you got a thank you from Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Absolutely awesome. I was... I'm pretty curious. Um, you've spoken to so many marketers and you've got a book out as well and a bunch of essays from, from marketers. 
What are maybe from the book, like what is maybe like one or two essays that really stood out for you when it comes to growing a business and, and marketing? Is there is there some that are just so out of the box that are like, wow, that's that's really cool and genius? Or are there some that are just like inspirational that, you know, maybe one or two that you could share? So I loved and I'm looking I'm looking at my table of contents now so I get the title right. Um but Danielle, um, Danielle Hughes wrote about, and I, managing your message, she really talks about, um, is this, no, that's Lori, that's not hers, um, Danielle's thing was about, um, writing a bio that, um, really reflected you, that, 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 that for a marketer and, and, uh, is one of the things that is so important because it um, that's the introduction people have to you. That's um, and and if the bio is too formal and then they meet you in person, they don't they don't really know kind of who you are, and it it just it doesn't it does not work. It's just so important that the way you are in person and the way you are on your website is, um, is the same, um, kind of write how to write. I just found it. It's how to write the about page that attracts people to you and to your business. And she really stresses the, the personal that, that it is a human, um, it's, you've got to make that human connection. And so if you're trying to sound very stiff and formal, it just doesn't work. Um, I think that's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. I mean, I love, like I said, I love all of them, but that one, um, oh, I'm going to do one more. I think Scott Flood's um, conversational copy is the key to connecting. He really, um, he's he's probably the best writer. He wasn't necessarily the best guest in terms of being a talker, but on paper, and then this is what he does for a living. His, I think he's my best writer. I love it. I talk. I was talking to Chris Silvestri, uh, and his podcast is the next one for people listening. Uh, I was talking to him yesterday, and he mentioned that conversation. And he's a copywriter, really, really good copywriter, and UX designer, and he's got an elaborate career. And uh, he was saying that conversational copy is the best because when you have, when it feels like you're having a conversation with the person on the page, you're talking their language typically a converse like us just now today is like we're both marketers right it's easy for us to have a conversation we're using the same language we get the same things so it just it's an easy and great conversation you know we we're we're very similar and that buys so much that relationship uh just builds trust like no tomorrow and that's what oh, we need absolutely. in marketing right mm-hmm. oh I, absolutely and um one of the things that I discovered early on, I, it's funny when I say to people that I'm not a writer because I have earned a living for 25 years writing. Yeah, you're. But that's writer. not my. That yeah, and and I I mean, and, but that's not my that's not my natural communication form. And so what I learned very early on is, I would record, I would go for a walk, and I would answer questions or dictate a blog post. And then I'd hand it to someone else to transcribe, and then I could edit 
it when it came back. But when I did it that way, the language was natural. It sounded like me. And now with transcription software, it's so much easier to do. Because if I just tried to type directly into the page, it just felt very stiff because I was trying too hard Mm -hmm. and it stopped being me. Mm -hmm. I noticed that Mm -hmm. with my um, emails compared to some other people's emails, uh, and I've noticed uh, a lot of people copy me now with my emails and how conversational (laughs) they are. I start my Mm -hmm. emails in a very particular fashion. I started in media res. Uh, which means James Bond style, as soon as the movie starts, in the car, just jumped off the cliff, about to die. Mm-hmm. How did I get here, right? That's how I start my email. Yeah. So if you're not on my email list, oh, that's I'm- a plug. <laughs> oh, I, okay. I'm signing up because I love, I, love, I love a good opening. I love a good opening to a blog post. I love a good opening to a story. And that's really what you're doing. It's all about the story, right? Story sells because if you tell a story how you would tell the story, you don't need to think about writing it the right way. You just tell it how you would tell it and that's conversational how you would tell it. And that is so easy for people to read because it's reading like a conversation versus reading uh, you know, something that's a block of text. No offense to the Bible, but that's a tough one to read. Right. It's not well, it, it feels it feels like a textbook yeah. it, and it feels yeah. like work as opposed to um, just a story where you kind of want to know how it all ends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can drop so much value in that story. It doesn't need to be. All right, if I'm going to give value, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to go through talking point after talking point after talking point. I just listened to a podcast yesterday. I went for a run. And it's um, on real estate investing, commercial real estate investing. And I had been listening to one previously and they're very conversational. This one here I listen to, it's very fast because they have their talking points down and it's hard for me to actually process and digest the important, valuable things they're saying because it it's just so fast. They're just blurting it out. Like they've, they're producing an insane amount of value in a very short period of time. But for me to process and digest it and understand it is very, very tricky because it was just so formal. Mm-hmm. And that's it just in yeah. a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but there's an audience for it. If somebody is sitting at a desk and they're taking notes, that's that, but that's, you got to know with your podcast. How, well, yeah, how your audience, that's one of the reasons why with my podcast, I went to the 10 minute format because my folks are listening to an episode in their car between meetings. Mm-hmm. They're listening to it when they're doing something else. And I always tell them, you know, I always tell my guests, just give me one or two tips and then we'll link to your content. And if you grabbed them, they'll come back for more. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, it's a different format, uh, you really got to know what you want to talk about and be very on point, but you can still be conversational. Absolutely. Absolutely. My audience have said to me, Jared, you know, you get to the 35 minute mark range and the podcast episode ends and they're like, no, please, no, we need more <laughs> from your guests, from you. And I'm like, okay, 
so I started extending them a little bit more and more and more. This one we have gone um, almost past our time, uh, Lorraine. So mm-hmm. we may have to get you back on. So um, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you. Thank you for weathering literally the storm and the blackout that you've had to endure. Uh, where can we send people to check out your books and your podcast? So uh, more than a few words.com. If you go there, you'll be able to get the podcast episodes. You'll have a link to my book. You'll um, also have uh, access to my toolbox. It's got a lot of just great resources for business owners. My favorite social platform is LinkedIn, so hop on, say hi. Awesome. I'll put links to that in the show notes. Guys, before you go, I'm going to get very meta. Lorraine mentioned answering questions in the podcast episode, and that's the best content you can create. Guys, if you have a question for me that I want it, that you want me to answer on the podcast, please email me. I've already told you to get on the email list. I'm sure you're going to jump on there. If you're not, get on the email list and then email me uh, a question that you, that you want me to answer specifically for the podcast. And I do this with inside my actual membership uh, where people ask me questions and I do a Facebook Live. And the reason I like to answer those questions on a Facebook Live is because I get to give far more context verbally than just replying in an email. So I'm giving you guys the opportunity to ask me questions that I can answer on the podcast for you. I've noticed that some of the solo episodes that I've done, well, most of the solo episodes that I've done, people have really digged and really liked. So I feel me just sitting there answering questions could uh, could be valuable for you guys. So send in some emails. And um, Lorraine, again, thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. Speak to you soon. Hey, YouTube watcher. If you thought that video is good, you should check out this video here on the two best types of websites beginners should buy. Or check out my playlist on how I made my first 100K from buying websites and how to do due diligence. Check it out. It's an awesome playlist. You'll enjoy it.